All right, well, if you've got a Bible this morning, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 9, verse 13, through chapter 10, verse 20. So uh, we've got about three sermons, Lord willing, left in uh, this book, concluding today. And um, today is one of those texts that, um, as you read this passage, um, you can't help but get a little offended from time to time, um, because you find the writer of Ecclesiastes kind of calling you a fool sometimes. Because you read some of these things and you, hey, sometimes I do that, right? And if you've ever had a time in your life that you look back on and you go, why in the world did I do that? You ever had any of those times? What in the world was I thinking when I did that? You know, the, um, one of my favorite characters from the 80s was Mr. T. And Mr. T had a saying, I pity the fool. Everybody knows Mr. T, right? I pity the fool, right? And this morning, Ecclesiastes is pitying the fool. And so, remember, we're in wisdom literature. And in wisdom literature, you, you know, it really boils things down. Uh, it's maybe a little more complex than this. But basically, there's kind of two types of people out there. There's wise people and there's foolish people. And we tend to operate in one of two realms. We operate wisely and at times we operate foolishly. And this morning, we're going to learn about wisdom, but through the lens, really, of pitying the fool and looking at uh, the danger of foolish living. And the truth is, everyone from time to time makes foolish choices. Even the most ardent, faithful Christ follower who loves the Lord and reads His Word every day and prays every day and tries to live for Jesus from time to time is going to do something that we would say is foolish. But some people are actually given to foolishness. In fact, you're not born with a heart bent towards wisdom. Did you know that? (laughs) You're born with a heart bent towards folly and foolishness and sin. And some people are just given towards foolishness. And what we need to understand is, and and I've said this before, and I want to reiterate it when we talk about wisdom literature, foolishness and wisdom, these things, we, we tend to separate them and we tend to think spiritual things are here. Loving Jesus, serving Jesus, Christ's likeness, those things are here. Uh, making wise choices and not being foolish with my life, those things are over here. But it's not that way. This is a spiritual issue. Um, Christ came to us as wisdom from God, right? And so He is wisdom incarnate. And so it, it, wisdom is a Jesus issue. And when we're not walking in wisdom, guess who we're not walking with? Jesus. Because He leads us to walk in wisdom. And when we walk in foolishness, guess who we're not walking with? Jesus. And so, this morning as we learn about foolishness and we learn about wisdom, that's what we need to keep in mind. And That even as Christ followers, sometimes we make foolish choices or we have seasons of just stupid. You ever had a season of stupid? <laughs> I have, right? We just Well, what was I thinking, right? Or seasons of foolishness. And, and then on the other hand, some people are just given to a lifestyle of that and they see their life just in smoke and in flames all the time due to their folly. And there's hope for those people. There's hope for those of uh, for every Christ follower who's in a foolish season right now or who's made foolish decisions. And there's hope for every person who's given over to folly and foolishness. And that hope is Jesus. And is He's the hope of both our Old Testament and our New Testament. We'll see how this morning, even this passage, points us to Him. So look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I'll be on the screen for you this morning. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage, right? So lengthy, so bear with me. But I want us to get the grip of the whole thing, starting in verse 13 of chapter 9 through chapter 10, verse 20. It's kind of like reading from Proverbs this morning as we read out of Ecclesiastes. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. 
But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. Nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Let's pray together. Father, your word is good, and it is perfect, and you you want us this morning to walk in wisdom and to lead us into the way of Christ, into the way of wisdom. So help us this morning to see the pitfalls and the dangers of foolishness. Deliver us from our own selves, and help us to walk in the light of your word and the truth of Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what links all these proverbial sayings together? Well, it's this theme that runs through it of foolishness. And I'm going to show you that this morning as we walk through this passage. He's contrasting wisdom and folly, but with a real emphasis on the danger and what happens to the fool or the one who does folly or foolishness, right? Folly and foolishness, same thing. That's the activity of the fool. So we'll kind of use those words this morning interchangeably. Now, there's five things this morning that I want you to see in this text that we can learn about folly or foolishness this morning as we're learning the danger of it. The first one is wisdom and foolishness are both powerful. So I want to talk to you a little bit about wisdom too because he introduces us with a contrast. Wisdom and foolishness are both very powerful. He paints us a scene in the very beginning of this city that's about to come under siege. Did you catch that? Starting in chapter 9, verse 13 there. The end of chapter 9 is this scene of a city, a small town, a small city about to come under siege from a great king. 
So you can imagine the great kings of the past, the powerful kings is what he means by that. And so that he, he's camped out around the city, he's got it all hemmed in, and he's getting ready to take over this city, but there is a poor wise man that comes to the rescue. Now that's interesting because in their day, you didn't really associate being poor with being wise. And so... This poor wise man, this guy who hasn't had all the best education and hasn't had all the resources and all the best upbringing, but nonetheless is wise, he somehow delivers the city from the great and powerful army. It's an amazing thing. He says, it amazed me. It was. It seemed great to me that I saw this. And his saving wisdom shows us the power of wisdom. How he kind of just comes in and swoops in and saves the day in daunting circumstances. He's showing us what the power of wisdom looks like. This is a David and Goliath type proportion. And while wisdom is powerful, we see that it's also in that same little parable, it's undervalued. No one remembers this poor wise man. Some people actually believe the translation would be better rendered, uh, and the Hebrews kind of hard to nail this down, but some actually believe that the poor man didn't save the city, that it's meaning that he could have, and some people, some foolish people came in and ruined it. Either way, the point is, there was a wise man, but in the end it says, as time goes on, he's not really remembered. People stop heeding what he says. Foolishness begins to kind of triumph here because they don't value wisdom. Wisdom is the better way, but it's not often valued. It's not often heard. And The words of the wise man and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. But sometimes the loudest voice in the room is the one that gets heard, right? And he said, so they, many times they don't listen. They despised his words. His words were not heard, it says there in verse 16 of chapter 9. Imagine a parent, right? Who pulls their teenager aside. I'm not trying to pick on the teenagers this morning, but they pull their teenager aside and they're trying to, to share wisdom with them, right? Hey, here are some lessons, some things you need to know because I believe it or not, I've been a teenager is what they're thinking. And I did some foolish things maybe and I've learned the way of the walking wisdom here and they're trying to share that. But let's say, and none of our teenagers here at North Park would do this, but let's say this particular teenager said, you're crazy. You don't know what it's like to be me. This is 2016, not 1982. You know, what, what do you have? What do you know? And they just kind of scorn that. And they find themselves a year maybe a day, maybe ten years, whatever it is down the road, they find themselves in turmoil and trouble and heartache and pain and all kinds of things that the wise parent was trying to say to them. But what did they do? They didn't heed. They didn't listen to it. Because wisdom, as powerful as it is, it could have saved them all this heartache and all this trouble. They didn't heed the wisdom and they suffered for it. But Because wisdom, though it's powerful, is undervalued. But see, wisdom is not all that's powerful in this opening scene. Folly is seen as very powerful too. And that's what we're focused on this morning. Many times, folly plays the role of spoiler. In verse 18, he says, Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. One sinner, he says, destroys all kinds of good. This is a reminder of the fall. How many sinners did it take to mess up everything? One, right? Imagine, God set the scene. In, in, in Genesis with creation as He created this perfect world with no sin and it just took one sin from one sinner of course we ended up with two sinners Adam and Eve but they transgressed right they broke God's law and what did we get from that well we get 
All of our sin that comes after that, we get all kinds of things as the consequences of living in a fallen world. We get cancer and we get AIDS and we get pneumonia and we get the flu and we get, we get a world that goes to war. We get hurricanes that swoop in and destroy homes and tornadoes that seem to spring up out of everywhere and all this chaos, it seems like, on this world in this broken, fallen world. Why? Because of one sin. One sin. One sinner, he says, he's reminding us, he's pointing back to the falsehood. One sinner can destroy much good. But then he, he, he dives deeper into that in verse 1 of chapter 10. He says, and dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So what is that talking about? <laughs> he's saying, you know, the nice little perfume, right? And you get one fly of death is what that means in there. But you get one stinky dead fly in that thing and it ruins everything, right? Take one dead fly in your lemonade, ruin that glass of lemonade. He said, one dead fly in the perfume ornament ruins the whole thing. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. There's a lot of good stuff and a lot of good lemonade there, but I don't really want to drink it with a dead fly in it, right? That one little fly ruined the whole thing. And that's his illustration with the perfumer's ointment. And his point is, just a little bit of folly, one foolish mistake can outweigh all kinds of wisdom and all kinds of honor. Point being, some guy drives a bus for a living and he's driven that bus for a living for 30 years faithfully. Every morning he's got up, he's packed his lunch, he's put on his clothes, he's went out the door, he clocks in five minutes early, he clocks in uh, out when he's supposed to, and he goes and faithfully not ever had an accident, not ever done anything wrong. He's always greeted people with a smile and he's driven that bus faithfully for 30 years. But one morning, he has a little bit too much to drink. And he goes and he clocks in and he gets behind the wheel and he's drunk. Is he remembered for 30 years of faithfulness or one really stupid decision? It takes us a little folly to outweigh wisdom and honor. That's his point. He's in a judge goes and for 25 years he faithfully rules, right? He's just and he's wise and he's faithful to execute justice as he sits behind the bench. But one day he makes a mistake and he takes a bribe and gets busted doing so. And what's he remembered for? 25 years of faithful service? No, he's remembered for that mistake. It doesn't take much to be remembered for your worst days instead of your best days. That is the cold hard truth of life in this world. So he's saying seek to live wisely every day. Because folly is powerful. And a little folly can outweigh a lot of wisdom and honor. Number two, second thing about foolishness or folly. Foolishness like wisdom flows from the inside out. In verse 2 he says of chapter 10, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, I'm surprised that some Republican somewhere hadn't printed this up on a t-shirt, but it has nothing to do with politics. But there's probably someone out there somewhere foolish enough to think that it did and to be waving that, right? I'm surprised they haven't claimed that on a coffee, pup, a coffee mug somewhere. But what is he saying here? He's saying folly and wisdom are heart issues. And they send you in opposite directions. But they spring from the heart and they incline you in one way or the other and they're different obvious directions. It's not simply about the environment you grew up in or the amount of intellect you have. It's about your heart. It's a heart issue. And when folly is bound up in your heart, it will drive you toward foolish living just as the one who has had their heart changed by the power of God will be driven towards wisdom. The right hand in the Old Testament many times in that time period was associated with blessing. We we read about Jesus, he sits at the right hand of God, the hand of authority and power, and it was associated with positive things. And many believe that the left hand was associated with the opposite. But either way, his point is opposite directions. 
it springs from the heart being inclined that direction. It's an inward, inside thing. It's, that's what I'm saying. It's a spiritual issue, but it's also, it moves outward and it becomes very obvious. Verse three, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and he says to everyone, Hey, I'm a fool. <laughs> he says he's a fool. The fool is easy to spot many times, though they may not even know it. Their life demonstrates it. You ever want you ever look back on maybe years earlier in your life or you wonder, why did my parents not want me hanging around that person? Why didn't they want me dating him or her? You know, what what was it? And then some years go by and you look back and you kind of go, Oh, you know why? Because they could see the fool walking in the door, right? They saw the foolishness dripping off that person. They were walking around in the street going, Hey everybody, I'm a fool. And maybe you didn't see it at that particular time, but they did, right? And that's his point here. It's it's really quite obvious if we're paying attention. Sometimes when we're like this, it's hard to see things. When you can step back, you can see things a little better. And you'd think it's so obvious that everyone would avoid the fool, but sometimes the fool ends up in high places. In verse 4, he says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, don't leave your place. Calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Then in verse 5 he says, and he sees this evil under the sun and it's an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly set in high places and he's talking about foolish leaders. Though folly is obvious, it sometimes finds itself on the throne, is his point. Notice he observes, he can see this. He knows the emperor has no clothes. The emperor doesn't know that, but he can see it. Folly can't hide even if it's masked in authority. But he is surprised to see it there as we usually are as well when we see it in authority. The evil under the sun, he says, is folly set in these high places, given authority, given praise, given promotion, if you will. Foolish people are sometimes exalted and the wise many times are cast down. That's the effect of a world drunk on foolishness. And he's observing situations here in this passage from his day when the rich tended to generally be exposed to better education and opportunities and all those things. And he's not saying only rich people are wise because he's already told us about a poor wise man. He's not saying all rich people are wise either because he's telling, he tells us all kinds of about foolish kings. In verse 4, he seems to me when he says the anger of the ruler rises against you and you need to stay calm, I think he's talking about a foolish ruler there. In the context of this passage, it seems that he's, you know, much of this is talking about responding to and living under foolish leadership. And he's basically saying, don't respond foolishly to the fool. But either way, that's, there's a, he's already talked to us about this. Don't, there's a way to respond to those in authority, and there's a way that's foolishly, you foolishly can respond to those in authority. Now, so folly and foolishness is powerful, and it, not only that, it's, it moves from the, it's from the inside out, right? It's a heart issue that manifests itself outward. And thirdly, foolishness is self-destructive. He gives us, in starting in verse 8 through 11 there, he gives us this, this series of events. A guy digs a pit and he falls into it. A guy goes uh, working with stones and he gets hurt by one of them. A guy goes splitting logs and, you know, a, a splinter flies up and hits him in the eye. Right? All these bad things just keep happening. And it could be that he's just showing us, man, you can't predict what's going to happen in life. You go out there and you do your job and sometimes bad things happen. That's possible. But it seems like in the context of the chapter, and what the last couple of verses here, in verses, or of that passage in verses 10 and verse 11, that I believe his point is, their foolishness, the foolish way they went about doing these daily activities brought about harm to themselves because folly is self-destructive. It's harmful. 
You can live and work wisely and avoid being a fool and the consequences of folly. You can sharpen the axe. You can charm the snake before its bites. All those things that we'll point to here in a minute. But at the end of the day, if you're not careful, when you live in folly and you live in foolishness, you're going to drop more rocks on your feet than just the average person would. Everybody drops a rock on their foot sometimes. Everybody digs a hole and falls into it sometimes. But some people are prone to those things and the reason is they're given to foolishness. They don't live wisely. So it's self-destructive because it's harmful. It's self-destructive also because it's very wearisome. Look down at verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him. He doesn't know the way to the city. It's, it's hard to be a fool. <laughs> that's, why, that's why Mr. T pities him. Right? Because it, it's hard. It's, it's exhausting. He says, and just the basic things like directions to the city, this, some of the basic things in life you need to know to function well, he doesn't grasp them. He doesn't put his hands around them. So he wears himself out walking around looking for direction. It could also be translated into Hebrew in such a way that he actually wears you out because you're the one asking him for directions and he doesn't know the way to the city and he exhausts you. Either way, foolishness is exhausting for everybody. It's hard on the person living in folly. You find yourself spinning your wheels and it takes a toil on your life as you begin to see the ramifications of your choices. Now, so what are we supposed to do? Well, we don't need to destroy ourselves. He gives us some hints in here how to avoid the self-destructive behavior. He's, look, look at verse um, 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. Well, what's the wisdom that will help you to succeed? Sharpen the axe. Sharpen the iron. He said, you know, there's two ways to go about your work. There's a way that says, you know what? This, this axe is not cutting this wood like it used to, so I need to swing harder. And there's another way that says, you know what? Maybe I should sharpen the axe. Maybe I can swing harder, but maybe I'll get more done if I sharpen the axe. This basic wisdom, he's saying you need to work a little smarter at life. Sharpen the axe before you just go and swing it harder. You know, when I was uh, in high school, I played baseball. And I wanted to get better at baseball because I didn't feel like I was very good at baseball. So I wanted to get better at baseball. So what I didn't do was just go out there on the field one day in the game and just say, you know what, I'm just going to focus more when I'm out there in the field. I'm just going to try harder to catch ground balls. And I'm just going to swing harder when I come up to the plate. might even swing so hard I close my eyes and come out of my shoes. But I'm just going to swing harder. and I'm just going to try harder and put more effort into it. No, that's not what I did. I, I spent the off season playing fall league baseball, and I and I went and I and I hit the weight room so I could get stronger. And I went and I took tons and tons and tons of ground balls in my free time. And I went to the batting cage and I hit tons and tons and tons of baseballs in my in my in my free time. I, I sharpened the axe, and sometimes we need to sharpen the axe. If your marriage is a mess, work harder at it, sure, but work smarter. Should we spend more time together, sure, but maybe. Handle your finances better so you don't fight about money all the time when you're hanging out. Sharpen the axe. And see, usually, we don't like this, usually we're the axe that needs sharpening. At least that's the case with me. You want to excel at your career? Well, great. You know, don't just go floating resumes to try to get the promotion. Don't just go constantly asking to move higher up the ladder. Maybe just first work to get better at what you do. Excel at your field. Sharpen the axe. This is basic wisdom and it's biblical. But don't just work smart. you got to work now if you want to avoid the self-destructive nature of foolishness. He says, you know, if the snake bites the charmer before the charmer charms the snake, that's not going to do anybody any good. you got a snake bit charmer. <laughs> What's his point? Get busy charming. I believe is his point. He's saying you can't delay. You can't procrastinate. Make your move. Get busy. You know, you can be gifted and foolish. 
You can have a million dollar talent and two dollar effort. And that's the kind of person I believe here. Some people have a thousand great ideas and in 50 years they haven't executed one. They know all about how to charm the snake, but they keep getting snake bit. And he warns us here. Work smart. Work now. Get busy. Avoid the self-destructive nature of foolishness. But that's not the only thing about foolishness. It's not just self-destructive. Number four, foolishness is sometimes a verbal display. Oh, is it ever. <laughs> Look at verses 12 through 14. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but what the lips of the fool do? They consume him. You know, you may not know someone as a fool sometimes until they open their mouth. You know what I'm saying? You think they're smart. They've got it all figured out. You look at them, you're like, man, they drive up. They're in this nice car. They're well dressed. They look, I mean, everything, you know, they're just like, this person just looks like they've got their life together. You know what? You've seen those people. You look at their Instagram or their Facebook or whatever and you're like, man, I want their life. Man, they've got it all together. And then you meet them and they open their mouth and you're like, what in the world? What a foolish person. Because many times foolishness displays itself verbally. And actually it will display itself verbally. Manifests itself that way in our life a lot of times. Remember in verse 3, he said the fool tells everyone he's a fool. Verbal displays. Our mouths are heart indicator and indicators. And remember, folly and foolishness is a heart issue. From the overflow of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. And the first thing he tells us about these verbal displays is he says the fool, well, the foolish person here doing foolishness, they will consume themselves with their words in verse 12. It's consuming speech. While, while the wise man speaking wisely wins favor, the fool just messes everything up, consumes himself, ruins his life. Instead of his words causing him to advance forward, they keep holding him back and sending him back ten steps. Do you find that your mouth constantly lands you in trouble? Do you constantly have drama in your life due to your own words? Is there a calamity in your life that this morning you need to look back on and evaluate and say, what part did my words play in that? Sometimes we're shocked by the way our words can contribute to calamity. Consuming us. And then we wonder, why did I lose the job? Why did the marriage go south? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? I mean, there's a lot of other reasons that those things can happen. But sometimes... It's foolishness. And sometimes there's an actual audible record out there somewhere up. Consuming. But verse 13 shows us that his speech is also progressively worse. Did you see that? The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end is evil madness. <laughs> it doesn't get better the more he talks. It gets worse is his point. He starts speaking foolishness and when he gets done, it's evil madness. The more you hear, the worse it gets. On and on it goes. And the person that's a fool when they open their mouth is still a fool when they're done talking. That's kind of the point here. They don't get better, they get worse. And in verse 14, it's endless. He just keeps talking. He doesn't know when to shut up. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. He's arrogant, right? We don't know the future. There's so much we don't know, but this guy knows everything. He says, you know, no one knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? But this guy just keeps talking. You know, he's got it all figured out. He keeps talking like he knows everything. Making predictions about things he knows not of. You ever met this guy? Yeah, probably been this guy. We all have at some point or another. The person that runs their mouth endlessly about what really they don't know nothing about. The person whose mouth keeps consuming their life. The person that the more you listen to them, the worse it tends to get. This is foolish talk, he's saying. And here's what the real bottom line is. Foolish people, here's what I've come to learn, and I think it's right in line. Foolish people do not value words. They don't value words. 
Words don't mean much to us when we're acting foolishly. You'll say things you regret, you'll say things you don't mean, and usually it's because you're acting foolishly. Maybe it's in anger or whatever reason, but foolish people treat words like they're pennies. You know, I drop one on, it's a penny. What am I going to do with a penny, right? And I mean, it's just like, like coins in, in the cushion of the couch. Who's going to go looking for that, right? I mean, it's just, as opposed to treating it like precious gold. Wise people treat words like they're, like they're valuable, like they mean something, like they have weight, because the Bible says they do. There's death and life in the power of the tongue. The wise person knows this. The foolish person, like a fire hydrant, not thinking about the consequences. You meet somebody loose with their tongue, I'm telling you, you've met a foolish person. When we live loose with our tongue, I'm telling you, we're being foolish people. Let me read to you some Proverbs about speech and foolishness. Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Right? One's thinking, what should I say here? And the other person is, bah! You know? He's saying, one's righteous, one's wicked. Proverbs 15 verses 1 and 2 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Proverbs 13.3 Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, and he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. What is he saying? He's saying you can ruin your life with your mouth. You can ruin it. Proverbs 12.18 There is... One whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. He's saying, you know, there's one person you can hear speak and they just bring healing to situations. They, they make things better. Another person, it's like you've handed them a big old sword and they just keep stabbing you with it. One's a fool, one's wise. That's his point. Your words are powerful. Be careful what you say at the workplace. Be careful what you say in your job. Be careful what you say to your children. Be careful what you say to your parents. Be, be careful what you say to your friends. Right? The whole sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is garbage and unbiblical. They destroy, they will destroy not only the person you're talking to, they'll destroy you. Words are powerful. And when they're bound up in foolishness, oh goodness, it's bad news. Jesus said in Matthew 12.37 that by our words we'll be justified, by our words we'll be condemned. What do you mean by that? They're evidence. Our words are evidence of our heart condition. They show our true self. Words matter. Words are revealing. Foolishness speaks and when we're living foolishly, our words will make it obvious. So it's sometimes a verbal display. There's one last thing here. Number five. Foolishness in leadership brings great trouble. Verse 16, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child. What does he mean by that? Does he mean like it's really bad news if a little boy is your king? Well, Josiah was eight years old when he became a king. He's one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. So I don't think that's what he's driving at. It can speak, the Hebrew word can actually speak to like an emotional immaturity. He's talking about this grown-up's not a grown-up. Some translations say when your king is a servant. But the point is the maturity of the person. They're an immature, self-indulgent individual. He says, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. He's saying that's not the time to have the party. Before the work's done, before they go and serve the people, they're out having the feast. They're partying it up. They're self-indulgent. They're foolish. They're unwise. They're, they're, they're a foolish, self-indulgent, immature leader. And then he gives another Example, he says, and when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength. Oh, that's when you're happy. That's when you're happy. The son of nobility, he's pointing here to someone who has 
In this case, he's showing someone who's been groomed to be a king, but his point is they have the wisdom. It's really more about their character. He's using these things interchangeably to show it's really about their character, the fact that they're noble, and the idea that they just someone that should be character-wise fit to be a king. And his point is this. Notice the timing of the feasting. Both feast. Did you catch that? Uh, one, he says, the, happy are you when, you're, when, when your king is a son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time. He doesn't say they don't feast. He says they feast at the proper time and for strength and not for drunkenness. So one, it's the timing of the feast. One feast in the morning and one feast at the proper time. The foolish king lets the princes feast while the king in the morning while the king from nobility is being more wise and more shrewd about how they do this. In other words, there's a time but not while they're still serving to be done. There's a time to rest and there's a time to work. There's a time to let loose and party and enjoy yourself. And then there is a time to put the hand to the plow. And he's saying the wise king gets this, the foolish king does it. But not only the timing of the feast, notice the purpose of the feast. The wise king has his people, what do they feast for? For strength and not for drunkenness. You know, there is a way to enjoy yourself that will bless you, that will strengthen you, and will bless and strengthen those around you. And there is a way to enjoy yourself that is destructive to you and everyone in your path. And that is especially true in leadership. And that's what he's warning us of here. Foolish leadership. Verse 18, I believe in the same vein, he says, through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house breaks. What's he talking about there? Laziness. And if it's, it's true in our personal life, right? Laziness leads to ruin. We know this. When we're lazy, we were in small groups this morning, you talked a little bit about laziness and the slacker. It's especially true among leaders. In this case, a national leader we see here in this text, when things are neglected due to laziness, misplaced priorities, etc., it's the ruin of the people that the leader serves. And really the magnitude here is it brings great trouble because when you're in leadership, your decisions affect more than you. The king affects the nation, he's saying. The boss affects the entire workplace, right? The parents affect the family. The dad affects the home. The pastor of the church. All those things, right? He said, if you're in a leadership position, your decisions have even greater consequences. And your laziness has greater consequences. In verse 19, he gives us kind of an interesting proverb. Bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. There's two ways to take this. And one is he's saying, maybe it's just a general proverb about the usefulness of money, right? It buys the meal, in other words, that you see there. It fixes the leaky roof. It has a purpose. It, it, he's, 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 when he's saying money answers everything, he's pointing, it's a proverb about the usefulness of money. He's already told us money can't satisfy you. So he's not over-exalting money. He's just showing money's got a purpose. On the other end, some people take this translation, take the, the, the translation, and they believe really what it's driving at is the attitude of those feasts, uh, of those kings who are feasting in the morning for drunkenness. But that's their attitude for life, right? It's just all about the, it's all about the, the food, the booze, and the money, right? And they're just kind of like living it up. I don't know, but the point is this. No doubt, there's a wise way to use your resources and there's a foolish way to use your resources. There's a way to use your resources that blesses and there's a way to use your resources that will bring calamity on your life. Money should be used wisely and not foolishly. It does have a purpose. Money is amoral, not immoral. It's the love of money that's immoral. But money has a purpose. If there's wisdom, is the ultimate, the ultimate thought here is if there's wisdom at the top of the organizational chart... Those led by those leaders reap that blessing. And if there is foolishness at the top of the organizational chart, those led by those leaders reap the trouble. 
and the consequences. It flows from the top down. When time and energy and decisions and money are handled poorly and foolishly, this brings trouble whether it be in government, the church, or your home, or in your own personal life of leading yourself. You know, I've been listening to an audio book here recently by a guy named David McCullough. It's called 1776. It's about the Revolutionary War in the year 1776. And uh, this guy's a very renowned historical writer. And it's an interesting story in there. You know, when the British occupied Boston in 1776 and Washington, George Washington, had his army ready. He wanted to go try to take Boston back, right? He wanted to go try to run the British out, take over and get Boston back. And four times at least that year, he went to the Continental Congress and asked them for permission to go attack. He was ready, right? Washington was like, I'm ready. He had his ragtag group of people, and man, their clothes didn't match and things like that, but they were, they were ready to fight. And if four times he goes and he says, I-, I think we should go, I think we should go now, and the Continental Congress looked at him and said, no, that would be dumb. Four times. Now we think of George Washington, right? As this leader from the past who was obviously this brilliant technician. You know, he was the the general of the army uh, in the Revolutionary War. But what if, after one of those four times, let's say after three times, on the fourth time he goes and they tell him no, he goes, you know what, I'm just sick and tired of this. They're over in Philadelphia. I'm over here staked out outside of Boston. You know what I'm going to do? Forget them. Guys, let's go. You know, we might all be speaking English today. But that's a joke. I don't know. I, I thought that would go over better than it did. But anyway, you might have some different accents, right? My point is, if he would have acted foolishly and not obeyed the chain of command, instead of acting wisely, because it ended up everything worked out for them, right? Everything worked out, and they ended up. I mean, man, it just it just it just came together perfectly, and they ended up taking Boston. And so, because he had the wisdom to listen to those around him and the wise counsel of those around him. And my point is simply this. Man, if he would have acted differently, imagine the calamity he would have brought to his army. Historians, the historian was pointing out, man, it would have been disaster. And my point is simply this. Leaders have been entrusted with much. And whether it's leading a home or whether it's leading at work or whatever it is, when you're leading other people, at the end of the day, you've been entrusted with much and you've got to, if you act foolishly instead of wisely, it doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just ruin your life. It doesn't just give you a bad day. It gives other people a bad day. So if you're a parent leading children or a dad leading the family or a manager leading employees, if you lead in any fashion, your foolishness will consume more than you. But here's the good news. Your wisdom will bless more than you. And that's the blessing of leadership. Now, but he says, be careful how you react to the foolish leader. He's told us that twice. Verse 20, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. You say, man, they just got a way of finding out, right? You go gossiping around the water cooler to the boss, and somehow a little bird hears that, and they take that to the boss, and next thing you know, you're in, the, you're in there and you're getting written up, right? His point is that it just has a way, your words have a way of finding out, and he's saying, once again, just because the one in authority may be foolish doesn't mean you have to be. Be careful again with your words. The word curse there has been pointed out that it carries the idea of invoking harm. Right? It's a pretty strong word. And it's true whether the king is a fool or not. We have to be careful how we speak about our rulers. In this case, the government ruler. His point is, your words may very well find you out. You say, Pastor Josh, we don't have a king. 
This is America. We just actually talked about the Revolutionary War and we just had a whole fight a few hundred years, a couple hundred years ago to get out of that and we don't have a king. Well, we don't. But if you think God wants you cursing your God-ordained authorities any more than He wanted them cursing kings in their day, you are badly mistaken. Careful with your words because no matter whether they get back to anybody or not, I can tell you one person that the bird certainly carries your words to. God hears all. And apply this verse across the board. Authority figures tend to find things out. People love to tell stuff to people in authority. Do you know that? I'm just telling you, they just love to get in good with the boss. So we have, and it affects them because they're real people too. So don't be foolish in how you respond. Foolishness springs from the heart of the fool. And beware this morning because we're all capable of it. As long as you can sin, you can commit foolishness and folly. So beware of foolishness because it is powerful and it flows from the inside out. It is self-destructive. It can be verbally displayed. And in leadership, if you lead anybody, all right, if you lead a Girl Scout troop, I'm telling you, it's trouble when you behave in foolishness. Now, foolishness is a spiritual issue. I told you that at the beginning of the message. And the answer is Jesus. And while foolishness comes from the heart, the Bible teaches us Jesus gives us a new heart. It says if anyone's in Christ, Second Corinthians tells us he's a new creation. It's Jesus who came to us as wisdom from God. It is Jesus who is wisdom personified. And until we accept the truth of the cross of Christ, which we're going to read here in just a moment, the world calls foolishness, we will never be truly made wise. So beware this morning of your tendencies, even if you're a long-time believer. Where where do you tend to act foolishly? What situations do you tend to handle more foolishly? Are you given to foolishness in one area or the other? Only Christ can drive the foolishness out of your life. And this begins when we trust Him for salvation, but it continues in sanctification, growing to be more Christ-like. No one's more wise than Christ. And as you get more like Christ, you'll get more wise. You know, back at the beginning of the, beginning of the passage, chapter 9, verses 13 through 18, many have pointed out how the, the poor wise king reminds them of Jesus. Just as the poor wise men in that story delivered a city, so in Jesus we have the Son of God who has become poor, the Bible tells us, who was wise and who has come to deliver us. And just as many did not remember that wise man, just as many did not remember his words, in the same way, people do not heed Christ today. We cast him aside. We forget about him. We don't heed him. We don't treat him like he is who he says he is. People treat him like the fool, though he is the wise one. You know, 1 Corinthians says something about this in the New Testament. Verses 18 and 19 says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He goes on to say in verse 22 through 25, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 30 says, And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
His point is there's there's no room for arrogance in the New Testament for the Christian, for the believer. We we, we can't we don't get to live through life proud and boastfully in ourselves. We can only boast in the cross because we've come to understand something that at one time, like the world, we treated the cross like it was foolishness. It didn't we just kinda Okay, so you're telling me 2,000 years ago a man died on the cross. What does that mean for my life today, right? Some of you, that was your attitude. And at a point in time in life, something clicked. And that became a so what to a oh, everything in life is about this. This person who died for me on the cross, who has risen from the dead, and a message that used to seem like foolishness to you, now seems like the very power of God to you. And that's where wisdom begins. It begins, it begins, it clicks, it begins when we first realize that the cross is not foolishness and folly, but it is the power of God for those being saved. The world fancies itself wise when in fact the world is filled with foolishness. And in our sin, so are you and me. And thinking we're wise when in fact we're fools. And wisdom begins when we stop seeing the cross as a hindrance. Stop seeing the cross as a stumbling block. Stop seeing the cross as folly and start seeing it as the power of God and our only hope for heaven. When we start realizing that Jesus died for our stupid sins. He he died for the ones we made when we were just too dumb to know better and He died for the ones that we were smart enough to know better and he, He died for all of them. And that we really have nothing to bring to the table but our sin. But that though we are foolish and though we are sinful and though one sin has destroyed much good, that there is one who has come in and His one act of righteousness can make everything right again. And that's Jesus. Who has lived a sinless life full of wisdom and not folly and who has paid our sin debt on the cross. The cross, the cross, the cross. Bearing our penalty and has been risen again. There is a wise man today that offers you deliverance and offers you wisdom. And it begins at the foot of his cross. So maybe today you need to admit the folly of your ways and you just need to come to Christ. Maybe you stand outside and maybe your city's burning down and you need to listen to that poor wise man from a couple thousand years ago who who was actually the king of the world who, who offers you deliverance today in his arms. Or maybe today as a believer in Christ we need to remember... Maybe we find ourselves in foolishness and in folly. Maybe you find yourself in a, let's just be honest, I don't mean to offend you, a season of stupid. Maybe we, maybe we find ourselves committing the same foolish mistakes again and again and maybe today we need to realize, you know, it's not just about pulling my bootstraps up harder. It's not just about setting uh, the, the schedule better. It's not just, but it's actually, first and foremost, first thing I need to do is look to Jesus and seek wisdom from Him and then go out and walk with Him and allow Him to make me wise.